On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me today is, and this is awkward because I had built up this entire rhythm for two introductions, but there's only one, the old reliable Ringer staff writer, Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach. Who are you calling old? Hello. You're reliable. You're so reliable. You seem old. I do give that impression, I suspect. (laughs) You're an old soul, which is a problematic thing to say about a young person, I guess. But all right. So we've got big baseball news this week. Uh, We are into offseason transaction. Uh, So we are going to talk about Antonio Senzatella's contract extension. Zach, the the Rockies are extending the right-hander reportedly for five years and $50 million guaranteed. What are your thoughts about this? I thought we were going to go with Alcides Escobar being extended by the Nationals. The hot news off the wire. The world is turning upside down. No, uh, there's really only one question uh, based on this past week's uh, action, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Is Garrett Cole a $324 million fraud? Well, I don't think he was paid $324 million this year. So maybe you could go with whatever his salary was this year, like $36 million or something. No, I think this happens. We saw with Garrett Cole uh, on Tuesday. We saw with Max Scherzer on Wednesday. We expect perfection from the best pitchers in baseball, and they don't always have it. Cole enjoyed one of the worst games of his career at the worst possible time. And I think it wasn't. Uh, wasn't an outlier that was a continuation of how he had looked for a few starts ever since returning from his injury about a month ago so i'm not going to say this was expected necessarily but he hadn't thrown like the garrett cole you expect in a very long time yeah and i have a hard time dumping that entire mess in his lap because the yankees were never really out of it once cole got out of the game i mean the yankees somewhat unsurprisingly, had a lot of effective relievers to try to bridge out to uh, to the end stage of that game. You know, Loisga and Luis Severino pitched well for a couple innings, and and the offense just never got going. And that was the, the real problem. It's not like, you know, it's not like they gave up 14 runs. That pitching staff, including Cole, who was pretty bad, kept them in the game. They just couldn't get anything going. And I think what this is really just the final nail in the coffin for I've just been I guess, in denial about how bad this Yankees offense has been all season. And you know, with the exception, it, maybe this is a different game. Like I said the other night, if if the green monster is only 33 feet high, you know, maybe the Yankees win. But uh, they had a lot of trouble uh, stringing together any kind of offense. And turns out it's tough to win, particularly when Garrett Cole is not that great. They led the American League in runs in 2019. They led the American League in runs in 2020. And in 2021, they ranked 10th out of 15 teams. And that showed 
basically Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan carry this offense. According to Baseball Reference War, they were worth a combined, I think, nine wins this season. No other player, uh, no other position player, I should say, was worth even two. So basically everyone else was below average except these two players. Stanton was incredible in the wildcard game, but after the top three hitters, which was Rizzo, Judge, and Stanton, the lineup went one for 20. And the lineup had zero walks, and they only placed one runner in scoring position all game, and that was on the play that Judge got thrown out at the plate when I don't really know why Phil Nevlin sent him with one out. But that is the only time all game they got a runner in scoring position, and you're just not going to win hitting a couple solo home runs at the top of the lineup when nobody else can contribute. And of course, DJ LeMahieu was hurt, and Luke Voigt was hurt, but this was a lineup that saw... LeMahieu underperform in the regular season. It saw Glaber Torres mightily underperform in the regular season. Questions about what they'll do at shortstop going forward, at catcher going forward with Gary Sanchez entering uh, his potential final year of arbitration. So I think for a team that has made the playoffs five years in a row, there are a lot of question marks that we can talk about maybe more going forward because there are a lot of teams that still have a chance to win the 2021 title uh, still to come. But the Yankees really have a lot in flux for one of the only teams that's made the playoffs five years in a row. I mean, I think a, a lot of questions, there are a lot of question marks about Aaron Boone and uh, those question marks are turning into semicolons at this point. Cause it, you know, it's, it's not his fault that, that the bottom two thirds of the lineup went one for 20, but it's, it's little things like leaving Kyle Higashioka in who went over two with two strikeouts when you got Gary Sanchez on the bench. Um, it, it just seems like he hasn't gotten the best out of his team. And even if that weren't true, this is one of those situations where managers exist to get fired, to do some kind of shakeup. Because you look at the roster on paper, it doesn't look that bad, particularly if you assume that Severino is going to return to the rotation next year uh, once he's fully recovered and stretched out. It, you know, they got most of these guys, most of the core hitters uh, locked up for at least another year. Um there's no reason to expect this team not to be competitive. It just doesn't seem like, you know, this seems like about the level the Yankees are at where they make the playoffs every year. Maybe they went around and yeah, that's a huge standard to, I mean, the fact that that's not enough is not fair. It's, it's not fair to expect uh, a baseball team to go to the world series every year, but it's the Yankees and that's the way it's been for a hundred years. And, and, you know, it just doesn't seem like they've got that extra spark and, and this is not scientific and it's not, uh, you know, not analytical, I guess. But sometimes you just need to shake things up. And it seems like Aaron Boone's tenure there is is going to come to an end pretty quickly. Yeah, it's not that they're not getting to the World Series every year. It's that they're not getting to the World Series any year. And I mean, underlying the point about the offense, they had must win games even uh, over the weekend leading into the wildcard game where they needed to win to qualify. And they got blown out by Tampa on Saturday and on Sunday, they were one hit through eight innings, even with the Rays, you know, not throwing their starters all the time, throwing Michael Waka on Sunday. And I, I think the Yankees at a, their ceiling could have performed really well. Just look how well Judge and Stanton were hitting if that bullpen were able to flex its full muscle. But they just didn't have the depth behind the stars in the lineup that you need that a team like Tampa has or the team like the Giants, the Dodgers have uh, that allow them to win games even when like one person has an off night. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the bullpen, I mentioned Jonathan Loizaga is someone he's been effective in the past and I got him mixed up with with Clay Holmes and specifically the the performance on Tuesday because he got knocked around a little bit like, I don't know, but a lot of the building blocks are there. They just haven't had a, a, everything click. Um Speaking of wildcard games, we're going to go to the National League wildcard game, which wrapped up mere hours ago as we record on Thursday morning. Dodgers three, Cardinals one, uh, runs the first and last batters of this game scored, and not a lot happened in between. Uh, Tommy Edmond uh, led off with a bloop single and scored, and then Chris Taylor walked it off with a two-run home run in the ninth off Alex Reyes. Uh, the Dodgers avoid the fate of winning 116 regular season games and zero in the playoffs. Uh, we're going to touch on their division series matchup. And by the way, if you're worried that we're not giving the Red Sox any respect, we're going to talk about them because they advanced. So we're going to have a chance to talk about them a little later in the show. Uh, Zach, this is maybe you and I were just talking about this because I did the, the wildcard game ranking earlier in the week, but 
we were spent part of this game sort of going back and forth about whether this game was actually good or not. And I think to a certain extent, like the score and the nature of the scoring and the stakes uh, speak, speak volumes, but there was, it was just a weirdly didn't seem like that well played a, a, a one, one game between two really, uh, two really good teams. Um, you know, lots of booted ground balls, lots of, of three, two counts, you know, stuff like that. And not just how it was played, how long it took. This was a 3-1 game, 1-1 to into the last batter that took 4 hours and 15 minutes. And I was joking with you about how like the Yankees-Red Sox game lasted a lot less than expected. So I guess we were due. Uh, you know, if Going into this week, I would have expected the Yankees-Red Sox game to last over 4 hours, even if it had no reason to. I think there were a lot of... A lot of runners on base, which we like, but it felt like they weren't all on base at the same time. Like the St. Louis was just putting one runner on every inning, but rarely getting actual jams, which I think contributed to the feeling that every inning, especially after Scherzer and Wainwright went out, kind of felt the same. There was a lot of stakes because these the Dodgers are a real World Series contender. I think as a neutral fan, I really wanted to see a Dodgers Giants LDS. So there were stakes there. There were stakes just in the ballpark because imagine the takes if the Dodgers were 16 games better and ended up losing in a one game playoff before they got a real chance. But I don't know. It felt much more dull than all of those other factors would combine a lot of basic ground balls. There weren't a lot of strikeouts in this game. So that's something, but this is when like people talk about 17 strikeouts, <laughs> not a lot, like almost <laughs> I mean, you know, for 2021, that's not a I lot. I guess that's not that bad, yeah. I think when when we talk about like how three true outcomes are boring, I think a lot of easy fly balls and easy ground balls are almost just as boring in a game like this. I'm not sure. I don't think it was the the nature of the contact or even like the the number of, of base runners or, or anything like that. I just think there was a lot of nibbling from the pitchers. And like mm-hmm. I've talked about... Um, with uh with Craig Goldstein, the uh, editor at BP, like we've talked a lot, gone back and forth a lot about the virtues of Blake Snell, and he doesn't like watching Snell pitch because he nibbles a lot. And you know, I don't know how much nibbling there was between Wainwright and Scherzer, and how much of that was was intentional versus how much of that was just neither. Both of them struggled to locate their breaking balls at, at one point or another. Like it seemed like in the middle innings, Wainwright was just chucking. Uncle Charlie up there uh, and praying for the best. And somehow the Dodgers never, never really punished him for it. Um, but that, you know, that led to a lot of full counts. Um, Luis Garcia, I think when, um, I think Ron Darling was the one who said this on the, on the broadcast that those max effort guys, those gripping and rip it guys will tend to take a lot of time getting to the plate and take a lot of time between pitches. I think that dragged down the game a little bit. So I, you know, that said, we're complaining about what was a really tense game that really seemed to capture the the sports watching watching public's imagination and ended in memorable fashion. So maybe you know, maybe we're just being typical negative baseball writers about this and and should appreciate what we have. Yeah, it had a, a cool ending. Anytime you get a walk off home run in a do or die game, which has happened a handful of times in baseball history, that's exciting. I think that <laughs> the managerial decisions in a game like this always lend themselves to second guessing and there's reason to second guess for instance i thought uh leaving adam wainwright in to hit with a runner on base and then taking him out after two batters and as soon as wainwright went up to hit you knew he wasn't making it Mm -hmm. through another full inning i i thought it was smart to put giovanni gallegos in for the eighth inning not save him for a save situation because the dodgers middle of the order was up in a tie game in the eighth and then gallegos threw 12 good pitches and got taken out and he was the cardinals best reliever this year i don't know why they did that i don't and know why not she'll- not only taken out I've, we need to mention this taken out for the one reliever who was going to bring albert pujols to the plate with a chance to win the game which yeah. you know say what you will about albert pujols i mean first of all albert pujols killed lefties this year so he was a legitimately dangerous hitter, but also, man, I would be really careful about poking that particular narrative monster in the. Even if you, you know, don't believe in kismet, maybe it's, yeah, it's maybe it's a little superstitious, but also better safe than sorry. And Mike Schilt was much braver than I would have been in that situation. I yeah. mean, McFarland ended up taking the loss anyway, but 
uh, not for that reason. And then even when they took McFarlane out, instead of putting in like Cody Whitley, who hadn't allowed a run since returning to the majors in August, they put in Alex Reyes, who had been demoted from the closer role because he allowed too many walks and home runs. So I'm not really sure about some of these choices, but again, probably more of the blame rests on the fact that the Cardinals went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about managerial decisions, I found it interesting some of the discourse around Max Scherzer only lasting four and a third innings because there was like, oh, this is this is brave from Dave Roberts to take him out so early. Like, he's your ace. He's not even going to go five. And meanwhile, I'm like, the the wheel has turned that now the old school guys are the people I'm turning around to like, are you watching this? Like, he was terrible like i would have taken him out after three innings and given julio arias a a clean set of bases i think roberts i mean held on until the very last possible second to to take scherzer out of the game and joe kelly i think got a couple of calls i don't know not that they were off the plate but but he got a couple of called strikes that could have gone either way uh and got out of that inning and i think the the dodgers might have gotten away with one i think if there was something to criticize about that move i think it was that uh they didn't take scherzer out earlier yeah i think it might have been less about scherzer and more about the kelly of it all because kelly who admittedly has pitched well over the entirety of his postseason career who has been very good in the regular season that one game uh game five against the nationals a few years ago might be just so ingrained in dodgers fans minds that like he's ruined for the rest of time in clutch situations for them i think that can happen especially with relief pitchers where they're just so associated with one blown moment that even if the statistics say you should trust them you just can't in your heart this is also a guy who doesn't like project normal in a way that makes him easy to trust so this is some of it is kelly's own making we're not just all chasing ghosts you know this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong but these are the words you really need to remember like a good neighbor state farm is there they've got options to fit your unique insurance needs meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need have coverage options to protect the things you value most File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I mean, this is a a testament to the unpredictability of of playoff baseball. Brewster Gratterall, who has not pitched well down the stretch, had the easiest inning maybe of the entire season, regular season and postseason put together. So uh, Kenley Jansen, I think, came out and pitched really well in, in one inning, got into a little bit of trouble, uh, but really showed off the new Kenley Jansen where he's not just the the guy who really, really locates the cutter anymore. Um, and above all, the Dodgers, like, I think a lot of this, the tension of this game was, are the Dodgers going to blow it? Like, looking at it from that perspective, even though, like, anything can happen in a one-game playoff, to just the peril of, of having a 106-win team not even make it to the, the divisional round was hanging over us. And, uh, you know, there's a, a sense of, Okay, this is business as usual, and we can, you know, really get going with this uh, Dodger Giants divisional round series. All right, you want to preview the Dodger yeah. Giants divisional round series because I think talking about these four rounds, there are two series that are very exciting to me, and two that were fairly easy to pick. So we can yes. talk about the two really exciting ones first, and that starts with Dodgers Giants, a matchup of a team that won 107 games and a team that won 106 games. I think, right? This is the first time in postseason history that two teams that won 105 games apiece will meet and they're meeting in the LDS and I think we've already talked about if this is fair if there should be reseeding and we got games to dive into so we're not going to do that now except to say it does kind of suck that one of these teams won't make the championship series but them's the breaks and uh, I guess 10 years ago they wouldn't have because you couldn't play uh, a team from your division in the wild card, but they removed that rule when they added the second wild card. So that's why, you know, in 2003 and 2004, the Yankees and Red Sox waited until the championship series. But I don't know, best of five adds so much urgency that there are some advantages to that over a best of seven because then, like, you lose one game and all of a sudden you're on the ropes. Yeah. And I think the, the Giants um, are probably not going to complain. You want to go back, you said go back like 10 years ago, go back 30 years. Giants won 103 games and didn't make the playoffs at all. So 
it could be worse. Um, I'm just excited. I mean, not only is this happening, these are this is like the best first round matchup, first round in in scare quotes matchup uh, of in baseball history. We've got two great implacable historical rivals, you know, with a, a rivalry that's spanned the better part of a century on both coasts. And, and there's for all the history, they've never faced each other in the playoffs before, which seems astonishing to me. Um, but you know, we look at what, the, and I think there's, there's a contrast in styles too, or at least a contrast in identity between these two teams, because the Dodgers are, they're Hollywood and the giants have built up this combination of old guys having a career renaissance and, and developing, you know, people who we thought of as, as maybe quad a types of players into really solid, uh, into a really solid deep lineup and a good bullpen. Uh, and I think we're going to get a little bit, of a little bit of a taste of that, uh, in the pitching matchups. Cause we've got Logan Webb versus Walker Bueller in game one, Kevin Gossman versus, uh, Julio Arias, uh, in game two, it, both these Giants pitchers, you know, well, Gosman was the top prospect, but he looked like somebody was going to get bounced off to the bullpen long term. And, and he's turned into a, a real top end starter versus two Dodgers pitchers who were just absolutely huge prospects from day one, have been successful in the major leagues from from a young age. You know, this team lost Clayton Kershaw to injury, burned Max Scherzer in the wild card game and can still come back with with this one, too. Uh, that's uh, has to make Dave Roberts' job a little bit easier to be able to to set up his rotation like that. I do wish that the teams were a little bit more whole. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is out, and he's important both for the Dodgers' actual rotation and for just the narrative around this entire team, their playoff run, and what this series would mean. And then both teams are missing first baseman. Brandon Belt was the Giants' best hitter this year. Max Muncy was basically the, uh, the Dodgers' best hitter this year. And I think looking at the Dodgers lineup last night, they really miss Muncy in the middle. They, without Muncy, have Corey Seager as a left-handed power bat and like Cody Bellinger trying to turn back the clock to 2019. But that's basically it. And especially if you look at the Giants pitching staff, they have a bunch of right-handed starters and they have a bunch of quality right-handed relievers. So against the Cardinals last night, the Dodgers had four righties in a row in the middle of the order. And I wonder if Dave Roberts will keep that or move one of the maybe lesser qualified lefty bats up, but I think that will really matter. And these teams are are still really, really good, but they'd be just a little better if they both had their first baseman. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I guess the best case scenario for the Dodgers is Bellinger shows something that gives Robertson an excuse to move him up in the order. I mean, he went one for two. He found ways to to contribute last night. And I guess you know, it's a reminder that he's you keep him in the lineup for reasons other than his bat, as good as his bat has been in years past and as bad as it's been this year. You know, I have a hard time. You talked about Kershaw as a guy who's important on and off the, the field uh, for the Dodgers belt that guy for the giants and uh, be, I don't know being around the team, he can still give a lot of that, um, uh, that same leadership benefit. I mean, it's the combination of, of power, not striking out that much, which is something that you can see up and down this, this dot. I almost did it again. Something you can see up and down this Giants lineup, but I don't know. Weirdly, I think the Giants are in a better position to weather that because they've got that sort of first base outfield depth. They could try out Lamont Wade at first base or Darren Ruff and try to cobble together something that will keep them afloat. And, you know, Matt Beatty made a couple nice plays at first base last night, but I mean, I was actually astonished. You don't think of the of the Dodgers as a team that's going to miss one hitter, but taking Muncie out of that lineup, I was really, you know, I was shocked by by how much less intimidating that that lineup seems top to bottom. And I think it's going to matter against uh, against a Giants team that I don't know. Looking at them, I don't know where the holes are. I have a, a big preview piece up on, on the website today that everyone should read that basically goes through the reasons that each team will or probably won't win the World Series. And for the Giants, in researching this piece, I discovered that they have six different relief pitchers who had at least 50 innings pitched in the regular season and an ERA below three. And that list of six pitchers doesn't even include maybe their most talented pitcher, the one who was the best in September, which is Camila Duvall. And I think that could really matter in this series because some of the Giants starters like Gaussman and Desclafani have not been as good in the second half. Gaussman in particular, when he looked like 
uh, Cy Young candidate at the All-Star break. But if they can get a lead after four innings, then they have the bullpen depth to piece this together in kind of a a 2014-15 Kansas City Royals way. So I think that could really matter. The Dodgers bullpen, of course, was great last night. But when a series is this close, when the Giants won the season series 10 to 9, but the Dodgers outscored them 80 to 78, you're basically flipping a coin. And I think the bullpen advantage favors the Giants. The starting pitcher advantage favors the Dodgers. And we're just about as close as two teams can be. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned closest two teams could be the season series 10, 9 Giants with the run differential 80 to 78 for L.A. So, you know, I I don't know. I pick the Dodgers to advance. I don't feel particularly confident in that. I don't feel particularly confident <laughs> like picking what the shape of this series is going to be cuz the you look at the rosters, you look at particularly the Giants depth. Here's I don't know before like we go to to picks. The Giants have had 15 players take um take 200 or more plate appearances for them this year. All uh, all 15 of them have an OBP of 300 or better. Uh, they didn't have a, a single hitter hit 30 home runs, but they had 10 in double digits. Uh, so this is just, this is not a team that's going to collapse because because Belt's not there. Or if uh, if Buster Posey or Chris Bryant doesn't uh, have a good, you know, ha- has a bad week. Like we see teams like that rely on, or we see playoff teams rely on one or two hot hitters all the time. And if they if they don't show up, then the then the the whole power goes out. And I don't think this this Dodgers team is like that. So, you know, my impulse is to say like Dodgers three two in an absolute rock fight. That's going to be a, a classic. But uh, both of these teams are so good. Like conversely, I could see it, there's just going to be so much margin or so little margin for error that you know I I have a hard time predicting this uh, in either direction. I also have the Dodgers three to two, but I don't feel confident about it. And I think this was the hardest series for me to predict just over the the four in this round. It was it just seems like we're disrespecting Giants fans, and I understand why they would be disrespected. I got an because- angry email this morning. <laughs> the only people who, who dislike me enough to email me are Giants fans this year. Their team won 107 games, but just because of how the, the playoff field is structured, they have to face the team that won 106 games and had the best run differential in the majors. So it's not a slight that I think the Dodgers will win by a run in game five. It's just I had to pick one team to win, and this is the one I would not... If I were a betting man, I would not bet this one out of any series. Yeah. I would not bet any playoff baseball in general because it's so <laughs> hard to predict, but uh, I'm the wrong person for that. Yeah, you say that. We're going to get to a couple series in a, in a couple minutes. Um, you know, as unfair as it, as it is that probably the two best teams in baseball have to face off in the first round, I'm glad we're getting it because I like upsets as much as the next guy, but sometimes you want to see Godzilla fight Mothra. And, uh, and we're getting that uh, in this. Uh, does Godzilla fight Mothra? I don't know. Um, all right. So let's go to the American League. Uh, Chicago White Sox and Houston Astros. Uh, game one. It's like asking me to pick a favorite child. Lance Lynn versus um, versus Lance McCullers. Uh, game two. Lucas Giolito versus Framber Valdez. The White Sox. I guess I'll start here. They're healthy. They've got a lot of talent. I think top to bottom, I'd probably take this roster over over Houston's. Um, the bullpen's scary. The the starting rotation is incredible. I think the you know the the Astros are deep in the rotation, but I don't know if yeah, I said this in the in the uh, our group post. The Astros rotation is deep, but I don't know if there's like somebody who really jumps out at me as as I want to give him the ball in game seven um, or game five in this, in this scenario, Craig Kimbrell has been a little inconsistent down the stretch, uh, but the white Sox have only been a couple games over 500 every month uh, through the second half of the season. Uh, now we saw how much being hot down the stretch does for you last night, but that does sow a little bit of, of doubt in my head that, this team wrapped up the division fairly early and hasn't been particularly impressive on the aggregate down the stretch. So, you know, is this something that we should actually be worried about with the White Sox or is that just making up a reason to to doubt them? I think it doesn't matter. There is no historical correlation between how a team ends the season and how it performs in the playoffs. I think it will matter if the White Sox lose, which they very well may because the Astros are a good team. And then we'll all point to their fade in the second half and say, ah, that's why. But I think it'll be more ex post facto narration instead of 
like an actual thing that will affect them now. I think both of these teams are very even. This is the other series that really excites me. And I feel like it hasn't gotten as much attention, maybe because both of these teams were in a playoff spot pretty early, but they're not the one seed. They weren't involved in the wildcard fight. So they've just kind of been settled in this matchup for almost a month now. And there are a lot of reasons to be excited. They both have really good rotations, though, as you hinted, Mike, the White Sox have better top end rotation candidates, I think, although Carlos Rodon's injury is a huge X factor there. They both have good bullpens with Ryan Presley and Liam Hendricks, maybe the two best closers in the American League. They both have really good lineups. The Astros scored the most runs in the majors this year, and that's a pretty good indicator of lineup quality. On the other hand, the White Sox were missing Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert for most of the season. Luis Robert has been one of the half dozen best players in baseball when healthy. So I think this could be a huge coming out party for him, especially given how most neutral fans will probably be geared toward the White Sox in this series, given the Astros of it all. So if Robert has... Are, a, are the Astros not popular? <laughs> the, the general baseball watching public? Yeah. He could uh, really inspire some new fans. And I think this series was also fairly difficult for me to predict. I am going with the White Sox in five because I do just believe in the top of their rotation a little more. The The Astros have a bunch of like B-plus starters, but I think the Astros... Sorry, but I think the White Sox have a couple A's. Ha, that's a, a funny joke because they're not athletics. The White Sox have a couple A-grade starting pitchers versus the B-pluses of the Astros. There's also the... The Tony Larusa Dusty Baker subplot to this series, and they have quite a history dating back many, de- many, many, many decades. So there's a lot going on in this series, and I think it's somewhat of an undercard to a couple of the others in this round. But once they actually take the field, it'll be maybe the most compelling of them all. Yeah, you mentioned Luis Robert, who's been—I mean, he was somebody that we had talked a lot about the White Sox needing to do with that. And when he came back, he put together an entire season's worth of production in a couple months. He's been unbelievable. I think that he could be, you know, there's there's a pretty reasonable timeline in which he is this year's breakout star. The the Juan Soto, the 2017 Carlos Correa, the 2016 Francisco Lindor of of, of this postseason, uh, just because he's been that good. I'll throw out a couple X factors for the, for the Astros too, Kyle Tucker has been unbelievable this year. It's somebody that I saw a lot of him when he was first coming up and I never shook that negative impression. And I was very wrong about him. He's been the Astros best hitter on the, on the aggregate, uh, this season. Uh, the other guy in the Astros lineup that, that I'd worry about if I were the White Sox is Yuli Gurriel. Just the, the bat to ball ability has always been impressive, but he's, as he's been getting older, uh, I've just been waiting for him to fall off a cliff and, and just not produce the way offensively, the way that you would expect a first baseman to. And you have 600 plate appearances this year, 319, 383, 462. Um, he's going to be a guy who's going to, I think, get a lot of opportunities as deep as this lineup is, uh, and could end up making a big difference for the Astros. So, the White Sox need to keep him in check and he's not a guy who's going to get himself out. Not that, not that there are really any of those, those hitters top to bottom in the Astros lineup. Part of what makes them so scary is that they've just got guys who move the line along and the fact that they can hit for power is, is almost incidental. And so, you know, this is going to be, a. For my money, the the best pitching staff in the AL versus the best offense in in the AL, and I think that you know it is an undercard just because of the Dodgers and the Giants. But uh, I think this could be a pretty incredible series. Did you know that Kyle Tucker, at least according to twenty twenty one performance, is the best remaining hitter in the playoffs? If you look at only qualified hitters, so this doesn't include like uh, Robert or Yasmani Grandal, who I think was also way atop yeah. the leaderboard as a catcher a with weird a four twenty OBP. Yeah, but if you look at the WRC Plus leaderboard for just qualified hitters, it's Bryce Harper, whose team didn't make the playoffs, Vlad Guerrero Jr., whose team didn't make the playoffs, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Shohei Otani, none of whose teams made the playoffs, and then Aaron Judge, whose team is already out. Seventh place is Kyle Tucker, who's the best remaining hitter. So I don't think anyone would expect that, given both uh, the quality of other batters in the postseason and even the quality of batters in the Astros lineup but yeah he's been sure awesome he's, this year. Yeah, I'm not sure he's the best hitter on the on the Astros. Yeah. Like if you ask if you if we were drafting Astros hitters, but I guess that just goes to show you shouldn't have any stars. Just uh get the kid and and let him hit like Bryce Harper. Um, One last I think important point about this series is how it might go to showing the difference between playoff and regular season, particularly in teams 
use of pitching staff because the White Sox have a lot of maybe depth relievers who just won't play an important role in the series. If you look at, they have 10 pitchers. That's Lynn, Giolito, Radon, and Dylan Cease in the rotation. And then relievers Hendricks, Kimbrell, Kopech, Bummer, Tapera, and Crochet. That's 10 pitchers, all of whom had a strikeout rate of at least 10 batters per nine this year. So that's 10 elite strikeout arms they can throw. The Astros, on the other hand, had the lowest strikeout rate in the majors this year. So that'll be a huge battle. Can the White Sox strikeout arms actually get strikeouts? Will the Astros strikeout avoidant bats ruin what Chicago's best advantage is? That'll be a key matchup. And sure, the White Sox have other less strikeout happy pitchers too, but they probably won't pitch in the important moments in this series. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. All right. Uh, now we have the the battle for between Milwaukee's two uh, MLB franchises, the Braves and the Brewers. Uh, first two pitching matchups: Corbin Burns versus Charlie Morton. Second, Brandon Woodruff versus Max Fried. Uh, no Devin Williams after the wall punching incident. Atlanta has a lot of right-handed power um, in the lineup, but the kind of both. I mean, you mentioned uh, the difference between regular season and postseason baseball. Uh, they've got a lot of pretty good bullpen arms, but I don't know that there's somebody that that I trust completely. This feels like this could be uh, a bit of a liability for for Atlanta. Um, you know, I don't think that. I think Milwaukee's got an extremely, extremely high ceiling, and but I'm not as confident as as I'd like to be that they're going to to just put Atlanta to bed. Um, so, you know, is that where you are? Or are you a little bit higher on the, the Brewers than I am? So I want to say I believe a lot in the Brewers. I think they are a popular team on this podcast. Researching for the big playoff piece I wrote, I did not realize quite how bad their offense was compared to all the other playoff teams. If you look at performance in the regular season, if you ignore pitcher hitting, all other seven playoff teams were well above average offensively. The Brewers were still below average, even if you take out their pitchers. If you look at just the purest measure of offensive production, runs per game, the Brewers were nearly half a run worse in the regular season than any other playoff team. Any other playoff team that's left, I should say. The Cardinals were also worse, and they're eliminated after scoring one run in one game. So I think that is a real potential liability. Christian Yelich had nine total home runs this year. He has not looked like himself. Willie Adamas is back from injury, and that's important because he really paced the lineup after coming from Tampa in a trade. But I think if Milwaukee is going to be eliminated early, it is going to be because of the offense. And we have seen in the past a number of elite rotations that just bowed out early, whether it was your 2011 Phillies, Mike, the 2014 Tigers who had Scherzer, Verlander, and David Price. There are a lot of rotations that you look at and say, oh, that's a World Series winning rotation. And then the office didn't score enough runs or the rotation got dink and dunked and they just lost a couple fluky games. So I think that's certainly possible here. I have a hard time seeing Atlanta as the team to do that. Their offense also wasn't that great, especially with Ronald Acuna out, they hit a lot of home runs, but they got out a lot of other ways. So I think Milwaukee's pitching staff can keep them in check pretty handily between the the starters and the elite bullpen with Hayter and everyone else that we talked about last week. So I actually have the series as a sweep, which Ooh. is maybe maybe disrespectful because no, I like, like that. I I think everybody ought to pick at least one sweep. Yeah, in the- like. Charlie Morton and Max Fried were almost as good as Burns and Woodruff down the stretch. So it's not like the starting pitching matchups are that outlandish either. I just think 
Milwaukee, this is this is a really good team. Craig Council's a really good manager. And I think Atlanta kind of got by because of a bad division. Yeah. I so I I look at Atlanta's lineup, particularly the post trade deadline, you know, bringing um Solaire and uh, Adam Duvall. Austin Riley might color this a little bit too, but I just look at them and I think beef. Like it's just so much power. Uh, and not a whole lot else. Maybe that's a little unkind to Riley at this stage of his development, but it's a lot of power, a lot of right-handed power because those three guys are all righties. Uh, Travis Darno, who didn't have a good year this year, but I think is still a dangerous hitter as as a catcher. Um, also right-handed, Ozzy Albies is a switch hitter, but should only be hitting right-handed. And so, you know, maybe that becomes an issue if you get into, I don't know, the... Brent Suter part of the bullpen. I, maybe Josh Hader's just so good it doesn't matter which uh, what handedness his opponent has. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at, at this and trying to figure out ways that I could be wrong because I do have like a very instinctive, strong pro Brewers outlook on this uh, on this series. Just because I mean this pitching staff is just so fucking good and. It, it would take something bizarre. I mean, you mentioned that at 2011 NLDS and just the number of things that went wrong for the Phillies that that week. Um, you know, it would take Rally Squirrel. It would take uh, Willie Adamas running into a bunch of outs the way Chase Utley did in that series. And and just, you know, maybe Burns has a bad day, but is Burns going to have a bad day and Woodruff is going to have a bad day and Peralta is going to have a bad day and Josh Hader is going to blow a save? Like, I just don't know how the beef offense is going to put up enough runs. And, you know, it's not like the, the Brewers offense has been pretty bad relatively, like relative to other playoff teams. It's not like they're not dangerous. Not like, you know, Christian Yell still can't tag one. It's not like uh, Adamas um, isn't dangerous in the middle of that lineup. So, yeah, I I don't know if I'd go a sweep, but maybe that's just my own cowardice. I think the the Brewers take this one. I do wonder about like Yelich's reputation just because he has been so good in the past. We saw even last night, the Cardinals were pitching around Cody Bellinger, even though he had one of the worst batting seasons of anyone in the majors this year. And Yelich wasn't nearly that bad. He was an average hitter, more on base than power. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Atlanta pitches against him. Like, I guess to your point, Milwaukee has a bunch of average hitters. Colton Wong, yeah. Omar Narvaez, Avisel Garcia was better than average this year. Lorenzo Cain is about average. They have a lot of average hitters, but Adamas was the only one who is well above average this year. And I think in the playoffs where basically everyone is average or better, that does become a liability. But in this series, I could see it going like the the 2018 NLDS against the Rockies, where the Brewers didn't score many runs in that series either, but the Rockies like scored one all series or something yeah. like that. And I could see Atlanta running into a couple solo home runs, but not being able to do much beyond that. Yeah, I, this Braves team, I think, is a lot better than that Rockies team, as much as we've been crapping on the on the Braves and the NL East generally. But yeah, I I mean, I could see the Brewers going all the way to the World Series, winning every game three to one, and. uh not to to spoil our World Series picks, but um, I'm fairly confident that that Milwaukee's going to make it out of this series. So, you know, which is to say, like, sixty six percent, which is about <laughs> as far as I feel like going on on any of these series. All right, number four, Boston versus Tampa Bay, the 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 last hope of Ben Lindbergh. Um, Tampa Bay is Doesn't going. Ben very sh- also have the Brewers. Yeah, I'm still mad about that, but. Uh, so Tampa Bay is going very Shane heavy with the rotation. I think that's what we should really take about this. These rosters came out at like 1051 as we started recording, uh, around 11 on Thursday morning. So, uh, JD Martinez on the roster after tripping over second base and maiming himself on Sunday, uh, Matt Barnes, not the Rays, not carrying Ryan Yarbrough or, uh, Brett Phillips, and their only lefty reliever is Josh Fleming, which is interesting to me because the Red Sox have several dangerous uh, left-handed hitters, most notably Rafael Devers. Um, so I don't know the, the Red Sox, I'll be honest, didn't impress me that much. Like the, the Yankees, Red Sox, Mariners sort of felt like an NL East, uh, in miniature. Um, and what we saw on Tuesday wasn't really that in- inspiring from either direction as much, you know, as great as the crowd was and as, as well as Nathan Evaldi pitched, um, you know, I feel like Tampa Bay is going to take this pretty easily. I just, their lineup's so deep. 
the rotation's inexperienced, but they're going to rely on the rotation probably less than any other uh, than any of the other eighteen or any of the other seven teams left in this um, in this playoff race. I'll say this about Boston because I think they probably have the weakest overall pitching staff of any of the eight teams, so they're going to need to slug to win. And the top of the the lineup has done that. They did that on Tuesday night. Schwarber, Devers, and Bogarts combined to reach base seven times in that game. They slugged two home runs. They scored five runs uh, out of Boston six. So if that trio is hot and Kike Hernandez has hit really well this year, Alex Verdugo has hit well. If J.D. Martinez comes back, that's a really good top six. I think the question is about the pitching staff, especially facing Tampa. Tampa has almost never had a good offense before. They were second in the majors in runs this year, and they only had Wander Franco for half the season. So with Franco, with Brandon Lau, with Arosa Reno, with Nelson Cruz, there are a lot of really good hitters in this lineup. You know that Kevin Cash will platoon and mix and match. I think Tampa was the best pinch hitting team all season, which you wouldn't expect from an American League lineup, but that's just how good their platooning is. And they don't really have any weak spots in the lineup. I think first base and DH when I was looking at baseball references, wins above average metric. First base and DH were the only positions in which the Rays were even close to average this year. They were well above at every other position, and they've addressed both of those. They added Nelson Cruz at DH, and at first base, they now have G-Man Choi, who was out for a lot of the season. And almost nobody has a higher approval rating on this podcast than G-Man Choi. We do love us some G-Man Choi. Yeah, it's weird to make that adjustment because this was something that I dogged uh, that I love last year's race team, but I dogged them for not hitting that well. Like Rosa Reina going nuts in last year's playoffs covered up so much, so many problems in what was a a pretty weak lineup. And Brandon Lau turned into almost a a 40 home run guy. Mike Zanino made enough contact this year. How could I leave out Zanino? Wow. Yeah. Did you know I calculated war per. Uh, plate appearance this year. Zunino ranks second in the entire major leagues, and that is in part because of framing. But to hit as well as he did as a catcher, he led the majors in isolated power among players with as many plate appearances. Like, yeah, he's, uh, he's, the isolated power has never <laughs> been the problem for Zunino. It's like he's been like, you know, you're getting like a 250, 300 isolated yeah. power. Just is that going to come with a 140 batting average and a 210 OBP? Like, this is the the eternal question for Zanino. So we got a good Zanino year this year. And I, you know, not only that, like, oh, I Hey, I've hated Kevin Kiermeyer as a hitter. Like I, th- I, I thought he's been a net negative for the Rays on, on the field for a couple of years. He was a league average hitter this year. So you put all that together, and you know this is a lineup. That, you know it's as deep as as a team like the Giants or the Astros, and you know, it's just a complete one eighty from from a team that had a lot of the same guys obviously on it last year. So it's just interesting to to kind of make that mental adjustment as we're we're uh, heading into the postseason. Are you worried about the rotation and experience if they go with McClanahan, Baz, and Rasmussen as the top three starters? None of them have had ever pitched, uh, and none of them had ever started an MLB game before this season, which is among the most inexperienced rotations in playoff history. I think it matters less for the Rays than any other team just because of how they use their bullpen and how good Kevin Cash is at deploying relievers at the right times. But I think it could end up mattering. Like, do you trust Chris Sale? over one of those pitchers probably yeah i mean well the question is do you trust chris sale over one of those pitchers probably do you trust Uvaldi over one of those pitchers almost certainly do you trust eduardo rodriguez over one of those pitchers and then the margin starts to get a little bit uh thinner so yeah i definitely think that the rotation is the one area where the red sox have a clear advantage over over the race which is not to say the shanes aren't talented it's just they're relatively untested and so there are a lot of ways the Rays are gonna make up for that one of them is probably not pushing those guys like I doubt that one of the Shanes is gonna throw eight innings and 115 pitches in a um you know in a crucial game this postseason I don't think is strong enough a verb there I will bet you any amount of money Okay, Uh, but also like it's easier to pitch if your offense is scoring a lot of runs, which it seems like the Rays are are primed to do. And the Red Sox just have a lot of holes. And as much as I said, the Yankees were it felt right for them to be like about 90 wins in the wild card. The Red Sox feel like they're about that level, too. So 
I, I just think this is one of two series where there's a clear a clear gap, I think, in in talent and production and performance between the two teams. Um, you know, which is not to say that the Rays couldn't collapse or Sale can't throw a complete game shutout or you know something weird can't happen. But uh, I think this is the the series that I have the strongest strongest gut feeling on. I think the Rays also have advantages in the areas outside just offense and pitching. The Red Sox were by a few measures, the worst defensive team in the majors this year, especially that Devers Bogart side of the infield uh, can let some balls go by that they wouldn't want. If they have to play Kyle Schwarber in the outfield, that's not something you want either. And Tampa was one of the best base running teams in the majors. If you look at Fangraphs's base running metric, I think they're number one among teams that are left. It's like Tampa, the Dodgers and Milwaukee all grouped together at the top. So they might steal a game just by virtue of putting pressure on the Red Sox defense in a way that could exploit Boston's biggest weakness. Yeah, this, I mean, that base running metric in, in spite of being a, actually a pretty bad percentage base stealing team. Um, so, I mean, they ran a lot, but they got thrown out a lot, which, you know, I love, but might not be the most efficient way to, uh, to prosecute a baseball season. So yeah, I, I don't know. Tampa Bay's lineup. Imagine if they had put together this lineup with last year's rotation. What, what could have been? Well, they didn't have to let Charlie Morton go to save $15 million. That would have helped. Yeah. Yeah. I have a raise in four in this series. I think the Red Sox between the top of that lineup and the rotation will steal one of these games, but I think Tampa wins pretty comfortably. Yeah. I Tampa wins two at home. You have all the, steals game three at Fenway and then the Rays wrap it up. That feels pretty cut and dry to me. Yeah, gentleman's sweep. Yeah, because the Rays are nothing if not polite. Um, All right, so we want to, we put our World Series predictions up at the the site this morning, um, white knuckling it through because I think both of us had the Dodgers winning around, so that would have turned into a little bit of overnight work to, uh, to retcon those predictions, but uh, everything worked out okay. Zach, I don't know. Is there worth the artifice, or should we just say that we picked the same team? We did pick the same team. We did not do this uh, at the same time. We did not consult each other, but we both ended up with, drum roll, please, the Milwaukee Milwaukee, Brewers. Yeah, Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, winning Um, the World Series. I have Milwaukee over the White Sox. Uh, I don't think you do, right? That was the one series we disagreed on. Yeah, we had the same final four, but you had the the White Sox over the Rays. I had the Rays over the White Sox. I do think that Milwaukee making the World Series would be really fun from a baseball nerd perspective. Either Milwaukee White Sox or Milwaukee Rays, per our two predictions, would just have a lot of really juicy matchups. And maybe the the people who care about what network executives think would you know, prefer the Dodgers to make the World Series against the Red Sox or something like that. Maybe Dodgers Astros. But I think Milwaukee against any of these teams would be so much fun just given the quality of their rotation. And 2019, the last quote-unquote normal postseason we had, was kind of a return of the starting pitcher. The way the Nationals and Astros both got to Game 7 of the World Series was more relying on their rotations than any other previous team had in October we had seen just the percentage of relief innings rise and rise and rise and that took a a step back in 2019 and maybe if Milwaukee makes it far if the White Sox and Tony La Russa make it far in 2021 we'll see more starting pitching performances that are I think what excite me most about October the mythical Morris performance in 91 and Bumgarner in 2014 and I think that would be really exciting so maybe my prediction is somewhat a measure of wishing more than predicting, but like all these are going to be crapshoots anyway. So you might as well go with something you want. Yeah. I like your potential world series a lot more than, than my own. I mean, the just imagining the, the entire assembled BBWA just stopping for cheese curds on the drive from Milwaukee to Chicago. Um, the potential for a Corbin Burns, Lance Lynn game seven of the world series. Like you'd have to scrape me off the wall. If that happens, um yeah man i just ooh. i just i just did that uh chicago milwaukee drive for a different championship series because I, I live near chicago and i went up to milwaukee for the bucks uh game six win so maybe milwaukee is going to be the new home of north american professional sports yeah title town title town usa uh the third coast is the shore lake michigan <laughs> I mean, I've done that drive more times than I can count. I used to 
to live in Wisconsin and uh, had to drive to Chicago if I wanted to fly anywhere. So, um, yeah, I love it. If you're any baseball writers out there who want to buy cheese curds and and figure out a way to ship them to me, uh, please do. If the it will, we'll we'll get in touch about that. Um, all right, let's. There's a little bit of actual baseball news, like we joked about the Sensatella uh, rumored extension. Um, let's touch on a couple of these stories real quick before we wrap up. Uh, Theo Epstein, not going to run the Mets. Your thoughts? My thought here is that the Mets basically came out and said we are going to hire either Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, or David Stearns to run our baseball operations. And that is shooting for the moon and not giving yourself any backup plan. Yeah. So if Stern stays in Milwaukee and why wouldn't he? They're going to win the world series uh, and Bean decides to stay in Oakland. I'm not sure where they really go from here. It, you got to give yourself more slack when you're making these predictions. It, it, uh, when you're making these proclamations, I should say it doesn't really make sense to just say we are only going to get the best of the best of the best because what if the best of the best of the best don't like your organization or like the job they already have? Doesn't like, it? Theo Epstein does, has, has a really good job right now. He just gets to to change the the future of the sport. He gets to improve the sport for everyone in a way that it seems like he was almost bristling against when he was uh, in Chicago at the end. And he, you know, he's got to sit around and just wait for somebody to give him a stake in the Nashville team. Like that's what he seems like he's just sitting around waiting for like why would particularly Theo Epstein and Billy Bean like doesn't doesn't Billy Bean own a piece of the A's still yeah um, I think they said uh, I read somewhere that I'm sure there's some worth something like 50 million dollars and Steve Cohen would need to compensate for that and Steve Cohen certainly has the money to compensate him for that but I don't know if that's really enough incentive to go to a more dysfunctional organization than the one you have yeah, and particularly those two, like they have no need for money. They have no need for for fame. Like they could just sit They're sitting around doing, you know, they're not in the grind of, of the everyday operations. Why would they go leave for a dysfunctional organization that's going to require a rebuild when you're going to get subtweeted by your boss all the time? Who's going to want to take credit for whatever you do? I don't I don't know why Theo Epstein would ever even consider that job. Um, well, it seems like he didn't really. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and it's not like he's waiting for one last, you know, this is not the Sandy Alderson thing. Theo Epstein somehow is still only like 45 years old. Like he's, I don't know, he could run for Senate if he wanted to. Like he could do whatever he wants. So it, it, like he's, I, I'm not surprised that, that that conversation didn't last that long. David Stearns, you know, maybe there's more money. Maybe he's attracted by the, the bigger market. I, you know, I think he's done an incredible job with the Brewers. You know, I don't know David Stern's inner, you know, innermost thought processes, but suffice it to say, he's busy for the next month. So maybe we'll we'll come back to to that. I mean, if that is a, a potential superstar hire, I also saw like the Jeff Lunau rumors persist, and I continue not to take them seriously. I don't think he's ever going to work in baseball again. Um, but I mean, if you want a superstar hire, you're you're like four years late on that. And the other news, Jace Tingler yeah. uh, out as manager of the Padres. I think it was pretty clear this was coming given oh, the Padres. Oh, it became when he said, no, I talk about me. What was his exact word? He said it was premature to talk about him losing the clubhouse. Oops. Um, yeah, man. I, I've i never gone from like, I guess like I knew the Padres were, were in a bad spot. Uh, when that quote came out, but I hadn't really considered that they'd want to make a change. And then I went from like, not really thinking about them firing their manager to completely certain they were going to fire their manager in the span of one sentence out of Jay Stingler's mouth. Um, and sure enough, it's come to pass. So that's going to be an interesting search. I think like this is going to be a landing spot for, I guess the literal dusty Baker is, is busy right now, but a dusty Baker type, I think is probably the direction they end up going. Or they go with someone like Will Venable, who was a decent Padres player for a while and seems like an up-and-coming managerial candidate uh, as a coach. I think, where is he now? Boston. So if the, I guess if the Yankees job opens up, if the, uh, if the Yankees decide to get rid of Aaron Boone, that would be the most attractive just because of the, the money and prestige involved. But I don't know how many managerial openings will get this winter but it's hard to imagine the Padres not being at the top of the list or at the very least number two on the list just given the talent involved and 
the fact that if the Padres become good, they would take over the San Diego sports scene. They're the only team left. So it seems like that's a pretty appealing position for any sort of veteran manager. Yeah. All, I mean, assuming that, that both New York jobs end up coming open, it's going to be an interesting managerial uh, merry-go-round. All right. So there's going to be just a ton of playoff baseball this weekend. Uh, the barbecue boys will have recaps of this weekend's action and analysis going forward on Tuesday. Uh, so be sure to look out for that on the ringer baseball feed, uh, to which you should subscribe or follow on, on Spotify exclusively on Spotify. Uh, but that will do it for this week's episode of the ringer MLB show. Thanks as always to Zach for joining me today. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer and the Shanes for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action and we'll see you next time.